Hey guys, we're coming at you today with a best of left field segments episode. This is going to be the best left field questions that I feel like I've gotten from all of the third quarter. So enjoy guys. We got five questions coming at you today and five answers. This is the Advisor Odyssey audio experience where financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers will find fresh new ideas and perspectives around what it takes to launch succeed, scale, and bulletproof their business. How can I get DIY or armchair advisors to work with me? This is a big hot topic, honestly. And I think, uh, I actually saw a LinkedIn thread about this not too long ago. DIY investing, these investing apps, they, it's not really impacting the retirement like sector as much as it is the more like uh, millennial demographic and the maybe Gen Z in there too, but it's really, it's really going to become more prevalent in the long term future. And I think it is the biggest threat that financial advisors face over the long run. And I say long run in the next three to ten years plus. So, anyways, here's the question: Do you have any tips on convincing traditionally DIY investors or armchair advisors, as you can call them, to work with a financial advisor? The DIY investors and the armchair advisors, they're, they're a little different, but um, those who do their own investing strategies, they believe in what they're doing traditionally. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing them at all. So you don't ever want to go head on and combat them and tell them, do this instead, do that instead. The best avenue that I've seen to engage in conversations and ultimately drive a meeting with these DIY investors is to bring up taxes, okay, tax planning. Uh, the higher the net worth, the higher the earnings, the easier the conversation is to generate around tax planning. In other words, if someone's getting tax refunds pretty consistently off their W-2 income, they're not going to really bite at that. But the ones who are having to consistently pay taxes, they're looking for tax uh, minimization strategies, tax optimization strategies, etc. Tax loss harvesting is actually a really big one. Those are the ones that you can really drive a wedge with. So, uh, most investors, most DIY investors, most people in general don't understand taxes especially not at the level that they need to understand them to be their own financial advisor. So until there's an app that comes out that does a really, really good job at this, at tax planning, that's going to be your wedge. Okay. The more you can engage with someone on tax planning, the more conversations will happen. It is much easier. Okay. Keep this in mind. Robinhood uh, is, is probably, I mean, it is the most popular I'd say, but you got Robinhood, for example, and I don't have anything against Robinhood, by the way. Robinhood pros and cons. Some of the pros are, as someone who invests on it or, or someone who could invest on it, it's a lot easier to invest money on Robinhood than it is to meet with a financial advisor two or three times prior to even doing any paperwork or opening a managed account with them. Okay, it's ease of use. Okay, it's much easier to do it yourself in three minutes than it is to meet with someone multiple times to figure out strategy, etc. As as amazing as that second strategy is long term, it's the short term satisfaction. We all succumb to it. It's the Amazon buy now button effect, right? We all fall in place for it. So we got to keep that in mind. It's easier for people to do that. It's also easier because there's no management fee. There is no fee that someone's paying. Now, sure, there's a margin, or sure, there's you know, there's cuts taken out here and there. However. When you tell someone that you manage their money for X amount of fee, you might be the best in the world at managing this. And 
I would agree with most people when they say they're really good at managing money and they're they're smart, they're educated, etc. But you're not trying to convince me. You're trying to convince the DIY investor who uses Robinhood. They don't like paying the management fee. Okay. Now you should never drop your fee to be clear, but perhaps the conversation is that management fee will it's there because it saves you taxes. It saves you tax implications. Then the conversation gets a lot easier. So, um, we also like to be clear. It's the day and age of instant information. You can give people uh, logins to their accounts to look at things and, and figure out where their you know portfolio portfolio is at. Pardon me. You can give them all that, but there's just this 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 appeal to unlocking your phone, clicking on the Robinhood app or whatever investing app, opening it up and seeing your exact balance to the moment. Okay. I mean, sure, markets close at a certain time, but still, you can see all that. The other, the last piece of this that we got to remember to pay attention to when it comes to these investing apps, most investment options are going to be available to the general public. Every once in a while, you'll have these exclusive portfolio funds, these exclusive, uh, you know, offerings that you can provide. However, theoretically, 95% of investment options can be done through retail through these kind of apps. And that's usually all people need. They just want to buy Disney. They're not trying to buy these different portfolio makeups that include Disney. Like, you know, the ETF models that are super selective and super proprietary and super well-performing. Like, they're going to go for more simple long-term, you know, buy and hold strategy. Usually. So, uh, all in all, like, the reality is if all you're doing is investing people's money, and then managing it for them. Again, you might be the best at this, but you're in for a rude awakening because the financial apps will take your job away if you do not provide the value to the consumer that apps cannot. If you are leaning on the pillar of, hey, I get to know you and your goals, uh, you know, I'm a real human being, like, that's not gonna be good enough. It's just not. Like, we've already converted to preferring to do more over Zoom than we do in person as a, as a, as a society. That right there is a big step forward to some, backwards for some. But if all you're doing is investing money and you're not tangibly, like through evidence, proven, providing value consistently, it's going to be a rough one. It's going to be a rough future. Um, like I said, for now, there's no great year-long tax planning app, at least that I'm aware of. And that's good for most advisors. When the time comes that there is an app created that does tax planning for you, and I mean more advanced stuff like potentially Roth conversions, um, tax loss harvesting strategies, like there, when that becomes real, that's where things are going to get tough. Okay, that's where things are going to get really tough for the advisors that don't stand out from traditional money managers. So again, those are a few tips and strategies on convincing DIY investors, but ultimately it does come down to the number one thing: talk about taxes talk about tax planning that is the best shot you have of driving the wedge immediately because most people don't understand that at a high level and if they're going to pay cpa they might as well pay an advisor who wraps that into what they do how can i improve my closing ratio over the next six months okay this is an advisor that historically has struggled to close at a higher rate at least in their mind uh, they're typically around that 20, 25% mark where they see their peers are in that 30 to 35 to 40, even 50% mark. So here's some of that actionable advice that uh, I recommended to them that I'd recommend to anyone who's looking to improve in this area. And uh, the first the first thing I told them was 
you need to start recording why people didn't do business with you. That doesn't mean record the meeting. I mean, when you find out from the client why they didn't do business with you, well, you need to actually write that down. Chronologue it, save it. Even if they don't tell you why they didn't do business with you, you've just got a hunch, write it down every single time. If you have 10 second appointments, or maybe it's that middle appointment, whether that's your first or second, third, however you do your process, when you see that only two or three of them become clients, that should give you seven opportunities right there to look into why they didn't become a client. And as Einstein said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. You can't make the changes necessary if you don't know what the problem is. So start writing those down, start saving those. Uh, And the second piece of that is look for the trends. When you actually get a big enough sample size here, you'll start to realize there's some commonalities. You know, client, or excuse me, prospect Sandy Sue said it just wasn't the right time for her to make a change. Uh, You know, client Ruby North said that it just was not a good time for her to have a chance to sit down and meet with someone because none of her money was accessible, right? Fill in the blanks as you go, but this is the situations that many advisors are experiencing. They are not saving why it didn't work, as in like saving the reason why. They are instead just moving on and counting it as a loss. Now, they might be dripping on them long term, but that data is so, so critical over the long term. So follow the trends and then obviously have some statements and uh, I guess questions too prepared on the back end to try to be ahead of those. For example, if your reason, which is, this is a very common reason, so this actually very well might be your biggest uh, reason why people aren't doing business with you, is because their advisor or their accountant or their uh, you know insurance agent, whatever it is, is their friend or it's their family member. Yeah, that's a really common one, right? Or maybe it's someone that they've been working with for years and years and years. So really the hurdle is the relationship. That's their objection. Ending one relationship to begin another. So, for example, advisors can jump ahead of that by in the first appointment, just laying out really, really clear. Hey, John. Hey, Susie. As we talk more about this and uh, me and my team get more familiar with your plan and what you're really looking for, etc., I want to just ask you this right now because we're about to spend a lot of time digging into this on my side. If we propose a solution to you that would solve A, B, C, D, would you consider breaking up with your financial advisor to work with us being that you have a good relationship with them or would that just be too big of a hurdle or an ask to make right ask them be bold about it be blunt about it because especially for those of you who have the larger size teams that means that your team members have more responsibilities and if they waste their time no one wins at the end it's better to not have a second appointment or a third appointment in exchange for not spending your time uh, doing uh, preparation work or case planning work that's never actually going to come to fruition. So just get ahead of it. Ask these questions. Another really common reason why, uh, uh, excuse me, another really common reason why you're not closing more of these prospects out, again, macro level, is because it's a timing issue, right? It's a timing issue. They're not ready to do it or they can't do it yet but they want to, right? And a lot of advisors, we've talked about this on previous podcast episodes, but they will just kind of push them to the wayside. It becomes a lackluster priority. They're not worried about following up with that person a year or two from now. 
they're moving on to the next thing. And th- that in of itself is a, is a problem that we need to try to fix across the industry. But another good way to get in front of that is this simple question. John and Susie, I understand that you're younger than most of the clients that I work with. And you've got another two or three years before we can actually access this money to, to make, you know, XYZ changes. So I want to just ask you, if we do this work, if my team spends the hours to build this out for you, do you feel that this is something that you would initiate doing now or that we would explore years down the road? And they might tell you there's nothing that we would do now. Right, that's how what we would call just window shopping, right? They're just they're getting the consultation, and that's okay, right? It's still okay. You can still drip on them, still stay in contact with them. They should be put in your CRM. But they might tell you, you know, that's right. We're not gonna be able to do anything with this money for the next couple of years. But we love what you're saying, and we'd like to work with you. And so with that statement right there, and this is a conversation I also tend to have with a lot of financial advisors who specifically tend to focus on the overall asset planning side, like fee-based management, this is your opportunity to get really specific and granular on what you can give this person now to help them. Okay, This is also a great opportunity to ask for a referral. I'll get in that in a second. But when you hear that from a client or a prospect, that it's just not the right time and they genuinely like what you're talking about, they believe in what you're saying and doing, that's your opportunity to look at their fact finders a little closer, their discovery forms, their intake forms, their, you know, whatever you call it, if it's specially branded or named. And this is where you ask them very specifically, why don't we just try to solve X, whatever X is, maybe it's healthcare, maybe it's life insurance, maybe it's, um, you know, moving this 401k over from an old employer, like help them solve whatever that one specific thing is. Because as soon as they do one thing with you and you prove your value to them over that term, if it's again, two to three years was my example. If you continue to prove your value to them proactively over that two to three year time frame, they're going to continue to do business with you no matter what, right? Unless they move across the country. And even then I've still seen a lot of advisors retain those client relationships, but when it's impossible to actually, uh, you know, to take the metaphor of the toolbox, when it's impossible to provide someone an entirely new toolbox, sometimes you just have to give them the screwdriver. And this is our opportunity. We've done the work already. Even if it's a lower return, if it's less than what you were hoping for and expecting when you ran through these meetings initially, it's not a wasted opportunity. So, and then lastly, on that entire topic also was the referral piece. I said I'd get back to it. When clients say that it's not the right time for them, that becomes an amazing opportunity for you to follow up with two really specific and easy questions. One being, I understand it's not the right time. We totally get that. I'll let my team know. I know they enjoyed putting a lot of this together. Just so you know, John and Susie, things will likely change in the upcoming years, so we're going to have to consistently review this. This will not be your finished product a year or two or a couple months from now. But with that said, Are you open to coming back in on a quarterly or annual basis to make sure that we have everything in place for when it is the right time? They're going to say yes, right? Typically, they're going to say yes, or they'll say they'll reach out to you. Regardless of their answer, your actual pivot is to go to, what if, uh, what would be easier if we just invited you to some of our upcoming events that we have? 
if every once in a while I invited you to my seminar, my workshop, my webinar, would that be better for you long term, you think? Again, they're going to agree to that. They don't feel like they're being sucked in and you don't have to spend the actual time with them specifically. So that's the first question. The second question to add to that is, do you know if, this is a two-part one, do you know if what we're offering, like the value prop we have, and if it's your plan, your, your insurance policy, your investment management, whatever, do you know if this would be valuable to someone else? And you'll phrase it a little differently probably, but do you know if this will be valuable for others? Or do you feel like this would just be valuable for your specific situation? Again, they're likely going to say for others, and this is your chance to pivot into the conversation of, would you do me a favor and invite whomever you think it would be valuable for to those seminars, those webinars, those workshops that we invite you to? Right, and it's going to be loose answers, but again, it provides you the opportunity to stay in front of them. You got their permission, and then now you're just going to continue to actually earn referrals from them. You should, if it's done right, earn referrals from them before they even become a client. And that's... That's a great problem to have. So uh, lastly, again, on that topic, improving the close ratio, record why they didn't do business with you, uh, have those conversations and ask those questions on the front end. But the other piece of that is be aware that your expectations, make sure they're not too high, right? Make sure your expectations are not too high because you're going to have a lot of situations come up where people are window shopping and there's nothing you can do, right? Again, all this comes down to there's three types of people you'll meet with whether it's at your event, at your appointments, oh, a phone call, whatever it is. Those three types of people are the ones who will do business with you no matter what, the ones who will not do business with you no matter what. And then the other third of people is the ones you actually got to work for. And it's the ones that you got to work for that are typically the ones that you really want to become clients. I'm worried about the advisor next door. Should I be worried? So the short answer to that, and this is actually a short answer in general, um, you should probably be concerned about it slightly. Not a lot, but slightly, because we're not going to evade the obvious. If they come in to meet with you and then they see John Smith Financial Advisor and then Sally Sue Financial Advisor right by each other, they're obviously going to see the other person. Now, if uh, this is something to take with you regardless, whether there's someone in your backyard or they're 100 miles away, if your value prop isn't significant or special to you and your firm, then yes, you should be very concerned. If you're still living the commoditized approach where the things you're selling and offering can be offered by anybody else, then yeah, be really worried about it. Because all it takes is someone to offer them the exact same thing with a different name and a, a sexy bow around it. They're going to choose that one, right? So if you keep it commoditized and it also becomes a game of undercutting, especially if there's management fees, lower fees, better rates, when you get to that conversation, it's no longer about you and your team and your mission and your, your brand, etc. It becomes, you know, I guess the old adage of who's going to offer me the lowest price on the car. That's where I'm going to go. Right. That's that's what it becomes. So that's I mean, that's what car dealerships do. Right. Trip. Uh, same situation as a trip advisor hotels. Like you hear people's recommendations as referral base, but. When you don't have the referrals and you just go hunting to try and find something you like, how many times do you hop on TripAdvisor and you sort hotels by distance or by price or by uh, recommend uh, recommendation, right? People will filter and sort by what's important to them, okay? Keep that in mind. And that's why your value prop needs to be different. 
So that competitor next door to you, yeah, be worried about them if you can't differentiate yourself from them. Daniel, I regularly host dinner seminars, but I'm fairly new to doing them. Any tips that you can provide to me on how to increase the amount of people who show up to a first appointment with me after booking it at my seminar would be greatly appreciated. What would you recommend? Now again, super common question. A lot of people have this same issue, but here's here's what I propose to them. Number one is make sure your call to action is directly in line with why people are at your event, okay? Too many times dinner seminars or educational workshops also are very vague in the topic they discuss, which is okay, right? Sometimes you want to be a little vague, general retirement planning or general uh, financial planning. Sometimes you want to be really, really specific. This workshop is all about minimizing taxes. It's all about maximizing social security. But your call to action needs to be tied to that topic, okay? If all you're talking about is taxes, minimizing taxes, minimizing taxes, then your call to action needs to be a tax minimization analysis or a tax analysis in general. If it's social security, again, your call to action has to be your social security maximization analysis. Okay, sounds simple, sounds elementary, but not a lot of people do it. Instead, their call to action is come in and meet with me, set an appointment, we'll dig through this, whatever. So that's number one. Uh, the second is really just a, a, a question to ask yourself. And I challenge every advisor to also ask themselves the same question. Why do people want to set an appointment with you? Not, not work with you. That's different. Why should I or why should you want to meet with you just the first time? What's in it for them? And see, I think too many advisors have a bit of a, uh, it's not an ego problem, but they, they feel like people should want to work with them. And while that might be true for a lot uh, and uh, true for many in general, you shouldn't assume that. That should not be your mindset. We want to attract, obviously. We don't want to chase. But you also need to be realistic on you spent 30 minutes or an hour or maybe more talking about XYZ topics. And if your mindset is after that event, people should want to meet with me, you're missing the boat entirely. Right? You're missing the boat. So... Be realistic about what you're offering and if it's actually valuable. If everything you do is tied to an opinion or a consultation and it's not tangible, why should people meet with you? They know that they're not going to have just one meeting, right? Even though you want them to have multiple meetings for obvious reasons, you need to make it clear to them that even if they don't have multiple meetings, that it's going to be valuable to them nonetheless to meet with you for that first time. Okay, another way to get ahead of that is to make it really clear whom should not set the appointment at the seminar. Now, this is some of that reverse psychology here, but if you're spending you know, an hour and a half to two hours of your time delivering a seminar, you want to set the appointments. If you have 50 buying units there, you want all 50 of them to set an appointment, right? It feels good. It feels like you're going to you know, hit a home run with this, but they're not all going to close. And a lot of them are setting that appointment with you just because they feel like they have to. So get ahead of this. I would even recommend making an announcement from stage or from the podium or whatever your setup is. Everyone, And it'll sound something like this. Everyone, I want to first and foremost say thank you for attending. I hope that you've enjoyed the content. You found it valuable. I want to make one thing really clear, though. I'm about to re 
uh, open up the opportunity for you guys to set an appointment to meet with us and talk through ABC, whatever it is, and to obtain your analysis or obtain your review. However, I recognize my team, and point to your team if you've got a team with you, point to them and say, I recognize that you guys are here for a variety of reasons. Some of you may be here to, to engage in the content and that's it, there's nothing else. Some of you might be here because you're just looking for an opportunity to meet with me. Some of you might be here for you know X, Y, Z, whatever. But I wanna make it clear for those of you who are here to engage in the content and you have no intention of working with us or even exploring that, I wanna ask you to please not set an appointment on that calendar. See my team back there, we care a lot about what we do and we spend a lot of time and effort making sure that the people that do meet with us leave with valuable insight or they leave with our analysis, our review, whatever. So for their sake, please don't set an appointment because if you set the appointment, no one else can. And that might be the difference between someone being able to meet with us in a timely fashion and not. So just enjoy the food. I look forward to seeing you again if things ever do change and don't feel pressured, seriously. So, and again, that's a loose script, but ultimately that's what we want to do. Let people know that it's okay not to meet with you. So you're basically telling the wishy-washy people not to waste your time, ultimately. That's all it is. So then your metrics aren't skewed. You're not having a ton of dropped appointments from people who don't care, right? It's one thing if they do care and they drop the appointment. It's another thing if they don't care and they never show up, okay? Um, some other obvious ones kind of top of mind are your presentation's boring, some people might feel like you educated them and they're really smart, really intellectual. They just learned so much and maybe a lot of the stuff you said was just way over their head. But if your presentation's boring and they think you're boring, they're probably not going to want to meet with you. They're not. They're not going to want to spend another hour. Uh, another easy way to fix that is dropping something in the mail to them the very next day, if not that same day. Uh, this is a, an amazing idea that I've heard. Sometimes uh, advisors will hop up on stage or behind the podium and they'll talk about, you know, let's call it social security maximization analysis. And then they'll stand up there and they'll say, hey, by the way, guys, if you've been taking notes, that's awesome. I actually have this booklet. And they'll put together like a little four or five page booklet. And they'll say, I'm actually gonna drop this into the mail for all of you who attend so you can have all this in front of you and it looks really nice. Uh, my team designed it, we love it. You know, make a joke about it. But uh, you provided your address to us so we're just gonna send it to that address free of charge, don't worry about it. But that right there allows you to also when they do set the appointment with you or whether they don't, something's hitting them in the mail the very next day and it's gonna remind them of why they set an appointment with you, right? At your seminars, at your workshops, you wanna invoke feelings, right? We illuminate, we don't educate. That's, that's a really common misconception. Your job is to illuminate them, to inspire them. It's not just to educate them. Otherwise, there's no reason they should work with you. So, and then lastly, um, this is more of a bold way to do it. You have to be really confident of your value prop. Like you can't be offering just an opinion or even analysis at this point. You've got to be offering them something that they cannot get anywhere else. This is that trademarked plan or that branded sales process. A good way to increase that stick ratio from those who are serious is when they set that appointment. So they talk with, you know, Susie on your team and they set that appointment or they put that post note or they set up the calendar invite. However you do that process, Afterwards, you make it clear to them, hey, we've got you locked in on XYZ date and time. We're going to need you to please fill this out and bring this uh, with you to your appointment or swing by our office and drop it off prior. 
We're not going to be able to, to meet with you unless we have this. And so that document that you'll give them could be a checklist of things to bring, could be some basic questions you want to ask them that you don't want to waste the time asking them in your actual meeting. Uh, you can formulate it however you want. But again, if someone spends the 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes doing things to help solidify the value that you can bring in that first appointment, they're also going to be buying in at a greater level and way more likely to show up. So those are some quick tips on improving your stick ratio. First appointment stick ratio from seminar attendees. There's, I mean, literally 10 to 20 different ways you can do that on top of what I've already said. But these are some of my favorite. What are some of the biggest challenges that I have faced when working with other advisors? I do want to clarify real quick. I don't like when it comes to me working with financial advisors and me not working with them. Well, they're still going to have common questions. I still get asked stuff and I still answer that. So um, the difference between those I work with and those I don't are just that those that I work with, I can stay in contact with and I do stay in contact with to figure out, did it work? Is it not? Where can we improve? You know, that kind of thing. It goes from a consultant to a coach. But um, anyways, the biggest challenge that I face, um, I actually, I'm going to frame this as uh, the construction triangle. Okay, this is something that uh, when I look at advisors, and typically it's when I, when it comes to the biggest challenge, it's not trying to help them do something new. It's trying to convince them and help them understand, and you got to do this very delicately, that sometimes what they're doing is not the best. Okay, and that's a very, very polite way to put it. Sometimes what they're doing is absolutely terrible, but they just have no idea, right? It's the things like, that's just how I've always been doing it. So here's my advice to you. Uh, and this is the same advice that I give to them too. When you focus on fundamentals, okay, and fundamentals are really important, but sometimes those fundamentals that you're doing day in and day out, they become weak or lackluster and it, it does fall into that trap of, well, that's just always how we've done it. Okay. Pause and ask yourself, what needs to be deconstructed and then reconstructed in your business before we hit 2023. Okay, sincerely, what are you doing now that's just happening that you know could be better? Deconstruct it, break it down and then reconstruct it. Now I challenge you, when you point out those fundamentals, you're gonna ask yourself some of these questions here. You might ask yourself, does it make sense to still do it this way? Does it make sense why we're even doing this in the first place? Do we know why we're doing it this way? How do we improve the weakest piece of this entire process? Or can we do it better? What do we know now? Knowing what we know now, can we do this better? Okay. Ask yourself those questions and do the exercise. Then rewrite and answer the above questions as such, or the previously stated questions as such. Does it make more sense doing it that way or not? Have you grown or improved since you started doing it the new way? Is there a really weak piece of that entire process or is it consistently weak? And then lastly, the important one is, is it better now? Okay, Deconstruct what's become monotonous, reconstruct foundations and construct further to continually enhance it. So when I work with advisors, that could be their digital marketing. Okay, and to them, again, digital marketing is a convoluted term. They could be thinking digital marketing is just having a Facebook page. But 
deconstruct everything you're doing on digital marketing, reconstruct it, and then continually grow. Okay, I'm actually in the process of doing that right now, literally. I'm deconstructing everything I'm doing to rebuild it and reconstruct it so it can grow higher and it can be built higher. Okay, it could be a sales process. It could be your team management process, your communication with your team members. And it could be your appointment process. Like there's so many processes that we fall into in this business that we need to set an appointment. Well, let's just do a phone call to set it. We need to, uh, you know, we need to run this digital campaign. Let's just use the same company. Like don't fall into that trap. Okay. What needs to be deconstructed and reconstructed in your business before 2023? When I ask advisors that, I get a lot of hesitations and a lot of I don't knows. So when we really dig into it, they realize two really, really common things. Number one is nothing's truly broken. Okay, and that's really big. Nothing is probably, probably broken in your business. But the second thing they realize is someone out there is always going to be doing it better than you. You might think your uh, radio show is the best in the world. Someone's doing it better than you. Your appointment setting process, your team management, your software you're using in your sales process, doesn't matter. Someone's doing it better than you. Stay hungry with it and be willing to learn from them. Be willing to learn from others. So that's that's my most difficult, challenging question that tends to come up frequently. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope that you enjoyed that collection of the five best left field questions that I feel I got during the third quarter. And remember, if you've got specific questions, something that you're struggling with or you're challenged with right now in your business, please feel free. Send the question in. Send it to us you know, via Twitter direct message or Instagram DM or uh, send me a less message on LinkedIn. Whatever it is, feel free to get the message to me and we'll do our absolute best to have it answered live for you. We hope you enjoyed the Advisor Odyssey audio experience. Connect with us on your favorite social media platforms at Advisor Odyssey. You can find our full-length educational videos to watch on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out all our articles and publications on medium.com forward slash Advisor Odyssey. The Advisor Odyssey podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The contents and opinions shared, expressed, or otherwise alluded to on the Advisor Odyssey podcast and audio experience are solely ideas not to be depicted as tax, legal, or investment advice. Results from the use of these concepts may not be representative of the experience of all financial professionals and are no guarantee of future success. Your results may vary. The Advisor Odyssey and its affiliated members are not to be held liable or responsible for any lawful recourse or punishment invoked upon the individual or accompanying business partners or team members. Federal law, state law, and or insurance carrier requirements may prohibit or place limitations on any of the ideas and activities expressed. All advisors, planners, wholesalers, affiliated reps, and investment advisors should be aware of any limitations imposed by federal regulation, state regulation, insurance carriers, broker-dealers, and registered investment advisors as applicable. Investment advisors are strongly encouraged to obtain pre-approval from the broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, insurance company, or similar institution with which they may be affiliated.